Hello, Vampbox TV watchers. It is 2021. I am here with Ola. How are you doing, Ola? Hey, man. <laughs> I'm ready. Fantastic. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about the hyperactivity of our news cycle and its effects on those who are obviously going to be commenting within that spectrum and those who are affected by it by having to deal with having their own viewpoint, whether it be through social media or through more, say, formal avenues. Um, we're going to start off with uh, the changing of the year. Um, so just to make it quite a microcosm thing in terms of my own story. I didn't really know how to celebrate the new year and I never really have. It's always felt like role play to me in that everyone is having this big celebration saying, hey, last year's over, we're now moving into the next year. Um, it was more um, predominantly a factor for me and in terms of being quite depressed about it this year because it didn't really feel like a new year until, I don't know, arguably for some, um, this inauguration day that's happened in America. Um, but yeah, it felt like role play. And there was a, a big kind of cultural, um, say, pressure or emphasis for everyone to really truly celebrate. And I just think it felt hollow, as it normally does from year to year anyway, but particularly so this year. How did you feel about it, Ola? Well, I've always hated New Year's, to be totally honest with you. Um, I always thought it was like, whenever I used to go out for it, it was like, as a punter, I, uh, you know, it was like enforced happiness. Like there's this huge amount of pressure that it's gotta be like a really great time. And we, you know what I mean? Like there was this pressure. And I think that always added to the craziness and to the, un to the deep unhappiness underneath of things. But, um, the thing is, I'm a DJ, so usually I work on New Year's. So actually, I liked working on New Year's, and I, you know, I got to play, play the music I like <laughs> to ring the New Year in, you know. So and and uh, I've worked for the last I don't know ten years or so. I like working on New Year's. I, in fact, that's the way I like to 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 bring in the New Year: working, money, <laughs> you know, good stuff. And you know, because I didn't even work last. I think I worked like you know, as I've said, since March 2020 was the last time I worked. So, um, so what did I do? I, you know, I actually put this in one of your rant box things. I said I, I had a uh, Zoom call with. I just, I didn't think about this because normally I was just like, oh, New Year's. I hate this enforced shit. But like, um, my, my husband's friend was like, didn't have anybody to, to, to talk to or anything, and I had done a disco an online disco, which I thought was crap, but, <laughs> you know, because, I, 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 but anyway, he said, when is she doing another one? And I was like, God, somebody's asking to do that again. I didn't think that worked well. But I realized this is, I thought there might be people out there isolated and feeling unconnected. So I just invited like everybody that I could think of. I said, come join us and don't feel alone. And that's what I did. And that was weird. That was a Zoom New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve thing, which was, Totally weird, but like it was more like for mental health, like don't feel alone, like connection rather than actual party kind of thing. And we just ended up, and I tried to keep it cheerful, but we just ended up talking, it always ended up going back to politics and it got quite depressing. Every time I was like, let's talk about some trivia or let's talk about something funny. I, like, I just, I don't want to talk about this, that, and the other. So, and and it did seem like, you know, it just seems like it was still, there was no transition because there was no work. There was no holiday. 
<laughs> there was I've been living in like what do you call it, like a cocoon. And uh, I think actually the new year started with the Capitol riots for me. And now at the end, inauguration, not just the inauguration, but the Capitol riots, because um, they both were very significant things. You know, it's like Trump's last attempt to like, you know, American carnage. That's what he said in his inauguration speech four years ago. And on the very last week or so of his office, that's what he delivered, like in a spectacular fashion. And it haunted me. But like we, like I said, we, I watched, I just watched the inauguration now and I feel so much better because Joe Biden said things that I needed to hear. Sure. Um, I guess with that um, uh, final disclosure, we'll probably move into the next part of the subheadings, which will be the news. Um, we have very much moved from a time where you would have your newspaper, you would read it, and you'd have your radio, and then you'd have your TV. Now we have our digital news, which will update itself on a very, very hyperactive basis. Um, people who are in certain positions in order to um, give their ideas about what that news is have that as a constant stimulus. Um, and I don't know if maybe I'm talking on behalf of people who I've um, maybe only seen from afar, but I can only determine that that kind of position is not particularly healthy, um, let alone for those who actually or imbibe that information and then disseminate it amongst their friends. Um, how have you felt about the hyperactive news cycle? Well, um, I'm going to go back to New Year's because I was speaking to my friend John at New Year's. This is connected. And uh, he said um, he, had he was trying to find the right balance for consuming news and stopping consuming news because he was getting depressed by consuming too much news because it's not... You know what I mean? Like it was just, and I, I found that the, the case <clears throat> the year before, like when the, uh, just before the election, uh, 2019 election. And then after the 2019 election, I was obviously very, very depressed, very, very screwed up, very, very devastated by Boris Johnson's sweeping majority kind of thing. It was, it was, all, it was Trumpian, you know, like Trump, like when Trump won the House and the Senate in 2016. And, uh, and then I, I went away, I was in Thailand and I just didn't look at the news. And Brexit, we were just, there was that, that was the month while I was away when we, were, we left, really left the EU. The flag was taken down and they did that stupid celebration or whatever stupid crappy thing that they did. And I was so glad I wasn't in the country when that happened. Um, I was away and I wasn't looking at the news. In fact, I just stopped looking at the news and I felt so much better. Um, and so, you know, to answer the question that there, this constant bombardment of, of news um, and this expectation of it, I mean, yes, we have to be on the ball. Yes, we have to know, we can know about what's going on in Ch whatever China news is today or whatever, if we need to, Wuhan, whatever. But <clears throat> at the same time, because of that 24 hour, the, po the possibility where you could just sit there and just consume as much news as you want, um, then the men, your mental, if you talk about your mental health and how that is detrimental, and also like the type of the type of news that's consumed, like QAnon, 
all like going back to Biden's speech, because Biden talked about the, the inauguration speech, uh, talked about the truth. And, be, you know, the, that hunger for that news cycle has created alternative news. That's why we have this. That's why we have, we have conspiracy theory rabbit holes, you know? Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's the downside of this 24 hour need to produce content you know, and the, the depression of consuming too much news and also the quality of the news that's consumed. Uh, any thoughts, John, on where you want to go with this? Ultimately, I'd say that you've taken it to a place where um, a lot of people are quite aware that they don't want to necessarily contribute to the deterioration of their mental health by constantly having to um, capitulate to feelings and understandings um, that you know are, are thrown at them by other people which are for want of a better way of describing it conspiracy laden um, and at the same time they don't necessarily um, want to have well there's two different ways there are those who don't even want to have an opinion because they feel they can't ground themselves in a, rea a reality that doesn't constantly change around them um, the thing is reality is always constantly changing but now the mirror the social network that they're on is constantly showing that change and then there's the other side of things where um, they go to horrendous lengths to convince you of what it is that they have found on their feed and their network being you know the reality for them you know it's it's all a really scary hyper reality uh, driven place um, and I I think that that kind of um, situation is definitely forcing people into deciding you know to, to leave um, from what I've seen a lot of social media behind um, or completely embrace it there's just a big division there that's growing so that's how I see it I would definitely like to um, whilst we're in this portion this ending portion of the news section of it um, bring you up on what you were saying about Biden um, because we talked about it off camera but um, hmm. I can't help but think of Tony Blair in 1997. I was 19. I was watching Tony Blair come into power and I was hopeful and I was excited. Um, they were playing the Dream song, Things Can Only Get Better. We'd had a lot of years of the Conservatives. And even though, as you rightly pointed out before we pressed record, that we were saying goodbye to John Major's um, tenureship um, essentially, it's quite indivisible for a lot of people um, when you look at John Major's tenureship and what he had inherited from Thatcher. Um, so I really do want to feel um, this great surge of optimism now that Biden is in. And even though it is the UK and the US that I'm comparing in terms of um, how I'm feeling, um, essentially, I really just want to see what he does rather than what he says in his speech. So. What do you feel? Well, John, I was thinking about this when you said this. I, I was in the same position as you when Tony Blair came in. And I was obviously very disappointed like you are. And you know what this is, what you're feeling, John? You're feeling the disappointment of a destroyed relationship. You got burned. You got burned. You lost trust. <laughs> I get that. I got, it was the same with me and Tony Blair in labor. I, I'm feeling you. I am feeling you. But at the same time, I felt different about this um, in that sense. Like, I, we, we will see where Biden goes, right? But I needed this. 
I was happy. In fact, I was filled with envy. For the first time I was looking at America and going, oh, I wish we had a bit of that there because not, you know, regardless of whatever you want to think about and whether how much Biden can actually do, let's, let's not also forget he's competent, okay? We don't have that right now. We don't have any of that. We, you know, we have a prime minister that's got a, a whole bunch of people there that are yes people, that are not concerned with, that are, that are not the best and the brightest. They're just there to appease his ego like Donald Trump, okay? But the most important thing that Biden said that really I needed to hear, it was about unity. He, he talked about systematic racism. He talked, he, this, is, this is a president who's never, I, I've never heard a president really talk. So this is things that we, democracy is fragile. He told the truth and he, and he talked about the importance of truth as well as telling the truth. He said, this is the importance of truth. Some of these politicians, they, they have that speech you know, and, and it's glossed over, and and you don't, you know, not you don't have presidents talking about systematic racism. They just pretend it doesn't exist, and then just keep going. This is the first time where Donald Trump is trying to rip the country apart, and Joe Biden's like, "I want to put you back together," and I and and democracy. <laughs> you know, it was good. It was so good to see that because you know despite the flaw yeah, some very good points despite the flaws despite the fact that sometimes it feels like you take a step forward and then two steps back okay the nazi thing is a real step back and i don't even know if you can get out of it no and you know without serious carnage happening so i felt happy and i felt envious and i felt like you know, we'll see what he can do. There's limitations because of the House and the Senate. Who's in the House and the Senate? The slim majority in the Senate. In two years' time, there'll be an election. He might lose either the House or the Senate. These are all possible. So that will also limit what he can do. But, you know, today, he's going to be lifting the Muslim band. Yeah! All right! You know, and, and you can be sure that Boris Johnson is looking over there and going, oh, I'm so thrilled, climate change. Did you know I was really into climate change, Joe? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, Johnson is sitting there going, hmm, maybe populism may not be the way I want to go forward in the next, you know, he's looking, that's the end, right? This is not going to end well for me. I don't want that kind of, you know, it, it's telling and he's trying to, he's trying to, you know, cause I've always said to you that uh, Boris Johnson, while I don't like him and for many, many reasons, he's more liberal than most regular Tories are. That's actually kind of true. Um, but, you know, and now he's thinking, well, maybe I, you know, I'm not, maybe that was just gonna tone down the, the, the Dominic Cummings way of doing things. I'm gonna move that out over there. And then, you know, maybe look a little more like Joe Biden and hope some of his shine like wears off on me because he's probably not going to want to talk to you that much. <laughs> Poundland Trump. <laughs> you know, so I felt really good. And, you know, and like I said to you, I'm going to let the, you, you've been burned. You know, you're hurt. You got to wait and see <laughs> how it goes. But also, I'm going to leave the cynicism for next week. And I'm going to enjoy the moment because I needed to hear those things. I needed to see that.
the country needed, the progress and change that the country needed is there. That they're, they're acknowledging the other people in this country. You know, I'll give you one example of this. Um, Barack Obama and George Bush uh, Jr. Had, you know, they had a government website. Uh, and when Trump took over, he got rid of the Spanish language version because it's not America first. And today, ding, the Spanish version is back. That's what I want to see. Inclusiveness. I, you may call this, uh, what do you call it? Um, rainbow corporate, cor rainbow capitalism. Okay, maybe it's rainbow capitalism. Maybe it is rainbow. But you know what? It's so much better than Nazism. <laughs> I've, it is, you know, I and mean, we can try and work on the capitalism side of it for sure. But I like that rainbow. I need that rainbow. Um, I'd say that there's, before we go to the next section, there's five things that I'll pick up from that. Um, one, um, as I said off camera, I'm thinking that we are less naive now as a collective, um, uh, say, global community in that we're aware that there's a teleprompter, we're aware that there is a, a literal Sam Seaborn, if we're lucky, writing this speech for this president and that everything that he's saying and doing is part of a cosmetic um, acknowledgement as to what it is that his brand is supposed to bring into, into being. Two, um, based on what Biden has done in the past and how he has used um, significant figures like Barack Obama to cleanse uh, his public persona, I have to wait and see and see what he does before I can truly celebrate. Um, three, sure, we can talk about what we need. We can talk about how it makes us feel and it can be a little mini holiday. Um, but I, I don't know if I can easily subscribe to being part of what I feel is almost like a certain role play that's asked of me. It's like how I first talked about at the beginning of this, the celebrations that one has at the end of the year. Um, I mean, I, I literally didn't see anyone. I just didn't want to feel that I had to tiptoe around their happiness. <laughs> um, four, um, if possible, if we can understand that even if we are obviously in, um, you and I are in the UK and we have a very different situation here to what's going on over there, um, we have to cling to the hope that if um, Boris Johnson does get voted out, that when there is a snap election, which I'm sure is going to be coming soon, that his replacement will have certain, um, as you said before, a certain amount of power that he can wield based on the majority. Um, I, I, I don't know. I hope that Biden is tested um, in the best possible way. I, I have to ask this. Why do you think there's going to be a snap election? I've read one article about this, but I don't know. Okay, if we, if we go further into it, this video will become something else, but we'll definitely talk about that as a subject when we do a group um, talk, because um, for people watching, there's a new format to Rampbox now. Um, I will have a Rampbox episode with myself and another guest. Today it's Ola. And yay. And um, <laughs> the next episode will be with myself and at least four other people. And then the episode after that will be me and someone else, but in the group ones because um, I think that's probably best in terms of the information that we share being at least um, as, as correct as it can be having many heads in the room that are versed on the subject beforehand 
Um, but yeah, my final thing regarding um, the whole thing with Biden and the hope and all that, um, we, you were saying before about rainbow capitalism and that it's better than the Nazi um, <laughs> affiliated uh, speak that we had with Trump. Um, both of these things are examples of hyperrealism. Essentially, if we even if we are swinging things back to a time when Trump didn't have the power to to change uh, certain uh, literature because of the, the the language used, we're not necessarily going back to a greater time. America had its problems, you know, before we had Trump. You know, I'm not mm. a fan of Obama. So all these things, I think, bearing in mind. But yeah, we are swiftly running out of time as per usual. Let's move on to entertainment. Um, I find that there is an extreme amount of pressure um, on pundits who will be doing, let's say, a review on a show. It could be a film, it could be a series, to come up with a spoiler review pretty much in a 24-hour period. Um, and even though a lot of these pundits um, will have some really good things to say, I wonder what that does for um, critique culture if they are watching something but have to come up with views simply straight away afterwards. Um, these are the kind of things that keep my mind awake apart from critical race theory these days. Have you ever thought about this hyper, um, hyper active um, digital age affecting how one um, puts out uh, reviewership and how that affects the audiences uh, that in themselves want to be reviewers and then put out the information? Um. I have to say, this is an interesting idea. I hadn't actually thought about it in that context. I've thought of it in, in, my, in terms of my radio show because I guess the point is that you, what I'm trying to understand is like, you feel that these people are like so, they have to feel, to feel relevant. They need to, to be on the ball, spot it right away and spew something out with it. And maybe they didn't think it through. Yeah. Right? That, yeah. that kind of yeah. a thing. Sure. But sure. They're doing it to be, to be relevant. So like, this is the hot picks or, the, you know, this is hot this week, you know, that kind of thing. And I kind of looked at it towards my show, you know, like I've, there's no way I could have possibly look at everything that came out in a week sometimes and pick everything that's best. Um, and I personally, when I do the radio show, I'm not a fan of doing such a thing. Okay. Cause like I, in fact, in the past, I think I did a lot more older music than I didn't do now, but now I'm consuming more new music and mixing it. But I always mix it up. I just, I think the most important thing is not to, to play what just recently came out. I pick from any time and any place. It's the quality that matters more for me than anything else. And I, I, I don't consume um, a lot of these reviews, like, because I think you seem to do this kind of thing. Um, and that's not... Um, I don't, I don't, I never look at this stuff online. I, I don't, I especially don't want to, I don't, I don't need to have somebody telling me what's going on. <laughs> I, to, I like to formulate, I just like to watch it, enjoy it, you know, and all that stuff. You know, have you ever, you, you've seen the, the cartoon Harley Quinn? Have you ever watched it? You brought it up um, a few episodes ago. Yeah, and I just wondered if you, yes, you haven't, I've never watched it. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard a few things about it which have, been quite intriguing but at the same time because maybe I'm just getting fucking old now um I'd rather check out Bojack Horseman which everyone keeps on telling me about but that's also awesome but let me tell you this Bojack and Harlequin 
are the same in terms of good fucking quality. I wouldn't say one is better than the other. And you know what? You know, you constantly talk about wet, and, you know, we're talking about discovery and all this kind of stuff and how you were disappointed. You will not be disappointed with Harlequin. I, I don't, okay, I, 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 you know what? I'm not going to suppose what you might think, but it's fucking funny. It is so funny and it deals with all sorts of these things, but in a, in a humoristic way. And it's just brilliant. It's just, uh, and it's superhero driven and uh, it's so, so good. And Bojack is different on a totally different level, you know, um, even though it's got this cartoony look and it's also very, very funny. It's actually probably a lot um, darker and, and much, you know, talking about toxic masculinity of Bojack and all this kind of stuff. Okay, I gotta stop. I'm gonna take a rest on that point. But when there was a, the, the Harlequin episode, there was a Harlequin episode where I'm not gonna, it's not really a spoiler, but at the end of the episode, they they did a little bit, like they did a little, like a, um, a parody review of the episode. They had two people who, like they they, they, they found some, I thought it was funny because this is the first time I, I looked at it because I don't look at reviews on YouTube, but I, like they were taking the piss out of these two guys that were reviewing the Harlequin episode in terms of Batman and, you know, like two geeks on a YouTube channel kind of thing. So I thought you'd see, this is why you like Harlequin, you know? And, and it was taking the piss out of these reviewers and they were blokes too. So it was a bit of toxic masculinity in the, in the review that they were taking the piss out. And I really, really enjoyed that because I mean, I know it, you know, I know this stuff is out there. I've heard of PD, you know, these YouTubers and whatever they are, but I don't watch them. It's not my thing. I don't want that, that's not my, you know, kind of thing. But I, I think, you know, it, the most important thing is not, getting out there fast, but the quality of what you have to say. That's my take on it. Sure. John, you want, sure. you want to roll with that? You got anything else to add? What, what I would like to do is um, just because we've got to wrap up this section, I wanted to know a bit more about how you thought about, because even now this actual idea, this question I'm giving you is a little bit meta because I'm asking you on the spot for something that maybe you haven't considered yet. And so there was a certain social pressure be between us for you to come up with an answer. But how do you feel about the nature of reviewers um, on this constant treadmill to give um, a, a good review? And let's face it, there's so many, particularly on YouTube, reviewers who will come up with um, pretty much an elongated synopsis of the actual episode. And if you're lucky, a couple of minutes at the end, what they thought about it without really referring to anything else, um, let alone uh, uh, the actual, um, say, history of the genre that they're talking about. They don't seem to be aware of it half the time. How do you feel about that? Well, I, it, it goes to what I do very much is the basis of my thought. It's like, if, if, I, if I feel like, I, let's say I listen to this week's releases, right? And I, and then maybe I didn't feel like I had enough from the past either. I wouldn't just, I, and I don't feel, I, I don't feel like I got what I need to, to create a show. I'll skip it. I don't feel the need to be relevant. I don't feel the need to um, play music that is new. It's just gotta be good. You know, if it is new, great. If it's not new, I don't mind. I, you know, when I, I just found this, I was listening to the show and I did this, I found this song, Japanese folk song that was like from 1971. And it's like, so 
haunting, amazing, you know, I always do old music and my stuff, but what I'm trying to say is that I, I get into digressive moments. I really just, it's gotta be about the quality. It's like, you know, I, I, it's, these are just people filling time. They're maybe they're clickbait stuff. You know, I'm not, I don't subscribe to that. To me, quality is far more important than being hot, new, you know, I, that's, I don't know if that's like something that's really big in society because of this pressure to do new, and I gotta be this, that, and the other, but that's the way I roll. And so yeah. if I were to watch, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't watch many of these reviews, but that's what I would expect and want. It's like, I'm creating content myself, like these reviewers. And my ethos is that, and that's what I expect from the content that I would want to consume. So no, I think it sucks. Yeah, I mean, even though this is the entertainment um, sub, sub, subheading of this, um, I will use um, an example that kind of broaches, say a current affairs news aspect of it. Um, I don't know if you remember, but I did tell you once that Akala was asked many times to be on um, <laughs> question time. And at some point it became quite, obvious to him that he and many others were asked to talk about stuff that they weren't necessarily experts on. I mean, it's one thing for us to do that in our little biddle kind of like platform of ramp box. But if you're running something like Question Time, people should be beholden to having a certain amount of responsibility as to who they get on their show, because that information will embolden other people once they hear it to believe in it. Even those who do um, do a little bit of research on what those people are about or what they said there is a distance that can be created there i think um but yeah that's just my closing thoughts on that um i would like to now move into probably more contentious um uh, an area such as the pandemic um, in terms of the fact that i haven't really covered that or encouraged anyone on rambox tv to talk about it because i think we're in a really bad place where people who are supposed to experts <laughs> will be sharing their view and those who are supposed experts will be having a counter view. Um, and I really would like to at some point have, have the ability to tune into a program, tune in, I don't have a radio, but you know what I mean? Watch a program <laughs> where people who are experts really, really just, they, they've been traveling around the world. They know this stuff. They spent 20 years dealing with stuff to do, a pan, to do with, with viruses. Those people, having them having a conversation with people who have a completely different set of um, conclusions based on the same data and having those people talk about because right now you know it's it's Jim down the road who's watched 15 videos who will have a certain amount of sway across people who will check out those videos with him or her you know like that that's another element of the hyperactive news cycle in that these people are worried. They've got maybe issues with their families, issues with their jobs. And then you get this big umbrella topic of the COVID-19 situation peppering their thoughts. They're gonna need to have answers. Some of them go down a very strange avenue. How, how do you feel about all this? Um, I'm a little unclear what exactly you're asking. Are you saying I'll be that- very, very strict on this, what I'm saying. Um, to cut through it all is that when it comes to hyperactive news cycle plus pandemic equals dissonance um, and I just think that 
it's it's been a big thing that every now and again I'll get messages from people who actually wanted to be on Rantbox talking about it, and I didn't necessarily want to encourage that because their point of view is, let's face it, like before the pandemic, they didn't really know what COVID meant. You know what I mean? So why would I want to give that a platform? It's only because of the hyperactive news cycle that would in some way encourage people who are in my position to actually give those people the voice. And I wanted to know what you felt about this. You, you wanna know if people should have a, a voice if they don't know anything about COVID? Is that, I'm just trying to get to where the question is. I'm missing, I'm, is that really what it is? Like, so I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying the people who don't really know about COVID already do have a voice. If they have access to the internet, they have that voice. And some of those bigger voices on bigger channels than ours are obviously, um, they've got followers and those followers are following um, people who aren't necessarily got their best interests at heart. Right, right. Okay, well, that's actually true because like, um, I'll give you an example. Um, my mom, who is, was a, sadly a Trump supporter, sent me, a, like over the last year, she sent me a video of, like she sent me this video. Like she kept sending me quite a few videos and I just wish she would, I said, the end of it, please just send me cat videos. Okay, because this is just, <laughs> just it was stuff. But anyway, she sent me a video of somebody who, who, I don't know, it was a woman, she was a New Yorker. I, I watched about, I didn't watch much of it, but I got the gist of it. But it basically said that COVID wasn't real. And I don't know, it, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't real. And um, and then my mom was telling me stuff like, if you go to the doctor and they stick something up your nose, that will give you COVID. You know, my mom is not the brightest person in the world, but you know, this, there's tons of this out there and I'm totally against it. I'm totally against all these rabbit holes and conspiracy theories, anti-democracy, you know, whatever COVID is or isn't, it's kind of like, you know, leave it to some experts. You know, if you wanna, I, I would only wanna vent about the mental issues around lockdown. That's something I understand. That's something I feel. And I'm not, I'm not gonna tell anybody. And I just, I, I just really think this is not healthy. This is not helpful. Yeah, we know this, I'm sure many people, tons of people know this watching it now. What really pains me is that, and I leave this blame at the government's door, is that they have not in any way tried to really assess um, or acknowledge that this is what's going on. They are that seemingly out of touch that um, devil's advocate, maybe they are not addressing it because they don't want to give those people a platform. But those people already have platforms. It's on our social media, it's on our Facebook, it's on our Twitter. You know, we've all had, you know, a couple of friends. You've had a relative, of you, as you're saying, now subscribe to something which only comes out of the fact that they can't actually plug in a certain gap in their knowledge. And so therefore they're going to be very... Um, uh, vulnerable to that kind of content affecting how they deal with something that they don't know how to deal with you know um, and as I said before there are people who don't really care about how that information is being used they just want to have followers there I mean there are people that that think that they're doing others good and they may have incredibly um, powerful and persuasive statements but up until like a year ago they didn't know what this is and I really just think that I have to be um, quite vocal about that. 
But let me just say this about the government. I mean, of course the government's not going to address this. The government, but that's, you have to remember the government isn't even dealing with the lockdown well, with completely mishmashed, U-turny, crazy sentiments that change from day to day hour to hour, things are not explained. The police don't even know what they're supposed to exactly enforce. Did you read about this in the Derbyshire, like, and thus it leaves authoritarian police departments to do whatever they want. The Derbyshire Police Department where they like, they, they were laying in wait at a body of water and two people that had drove separately, two women who drove separately to go for a walk together, holding two glasses of hot drinks, they stopped them and, and find them and called, so they had a picnic, you know, and, and these guys were also, you know, using drones on and following people on, and, and, you know, because the government isn't taking a clear sighted action and there's abuses and laxness and, and, and just all sorts of idiocy. So of course other people are, in fact, I think the government stance on not being clear encourages these people to come forward and fill the void where there's just lacking. I mean, we're just talking about the UK. I mean, maybe in America that was true with Trump as well because there was no clear messaging going on at that time. <clears throat> but you know, if you where you where you have, you should ask how this works countrywide. So like in a country where competency do you know do are they these voices so much more prominent do they have that kind of influence that's an interesting question you know yeah, like, yeah. Um, your point i think that forward let's say 60 years um if he survives that long but when dominic cummings passes away i'll remember him as the guy who set the bad example so there you go um in closing let's talk about music in relation to the hyperactivity of, of the news cycle. I mean, this is gonna sound strange because I feel like I'm almost, well, I'm actually um, defending him now. But you've got this musician who used to be in the band called The Who, called Roger Daltrey. <laughs> <laughs> and he had information um, as to what Brexit was going to do for the music industry. And based on that information, he didn't think that it was going to be something that was negative. Now that's devil's advocate. Um, my my own feeling is that ultimately, you know, if you ask any grassroots uh, venue owner or anyone who knows enough about what musicians need in order to actually go from A to B and do their thing, um, the 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 state of play now is that we don't necessarily have what we want and. If anything, the new information, again, kind of helps Roger Daltrey in that the government weren't really pushing for the rights of musicians. Um, and again, this is because of so much information you're supposed to take on board. Arguably, you know, certain decisions that were made at the voting booth weren't the, weren't the best. <laughs> what do you think about this? I can barely speak because it's just, it's so fucking up. So. Uh, you're, you're like me. That primal moment out for you, share it with you. A couple of things. Well, no surprise, the government isn't fighting for any new musicians because during COVID, all music venues are suffering, musicians are suffering anyway. Just before Brexit came, they, you know, the, the self-employed scheme, I mean, I barely got any money <laughs> to, to, to survive. And I know loads of other, you know, smaller to medium type musicians 
you know, if you don't, you don't have a day job, you're in trouble. And, and it's not just music, it's the entire arts industry has been let down completely by this government. So is there a surprise that this happened? Um, well, not really, because the government doesn't really care about musicians at all. Um, but let's just say what this is now that Roger, we didn't actually discuss what this is. We, we had the right to, to, when we were in the EU, we were allowed to travel and we could go to Europe to, to do everything. And in the New Deal, basically, they we had an, Europe offered us the opportunity to let musicians come for 90 days um, without any visa nonsense and paperwork. And, and the UK refused. And let's, let's make this very clear why it refused. P Priti Patel, which is, what is she, home office person, whatever her name is. Yeah, okay. She basically said that, well, we can't accept this deal because well, we can't let foreigners in for more than 90 days. It was this was an anti-immigration stance that basically, you know, this Britain first fucking shite that created that they did they wanted they they wanted 30 days or something, not 90. 90 days was too much. Somebody could run amok and and and, and take advantage of what? <laughs> what are they gonna get for free for 90 days? It's expensive here. You know, they're not gonna be able to sign on. C come on. So so it was that that thinking, that Britain first shit that caused this for the music industry. Um, and the government didn't care. And, and, and then you know, now it's been picked up. Now, I don't know if Roger Daltrey knew, like for example, maybe Roger Daltrey didn't know about this. Maybe he had a manager who takes care of the, all that shit, all that jazz, you know? He doesn't think he didn't think about that. He didn't look when I voted for Brexit. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think about World Trade Organization stuff. In fact, I didn't know I didn't vote for Brexit. Wait, wait what did I say? When I voted for the referendum, <laughs> I didn't vote for Brexit. But when I voted, I didn't think about that. I just knew it was bad. I liked freedom of movement. I understood that freedom of movement, that kind of thing. That's what I liked. And I didn't look into all the, you know, it's very complex kind of thing. And I wonder. Uh, if Roger Daltrey, like, is even, like, an, until, like, his manager probably said this isn't a good idea, would he have known? You know, um, I mean... There is a clip of him on Sky TV doing the rounds from back in the day, um, likening being in the EU to, like, being in the mafia, um, and he's swearing at the camera and stuff. So there is a certain amount of privilege that's going on with Roger Daltrey's thinking, and that has not necessarily allowed him to at least have, I would say, the integrity of saying, okay, I'm doing an about face now. I, I'm writing to these people to let them know that I am outraged by what's going on and that I was duped. Voted for he, it. <laughs> he could have said, like, on behalf of many people, like, um, not necessarily on behalf of them, but in saying so, those people who were also duped would feel um, a certain amount of vocal closure. You know, like he he didn't realize this was going to happen. I, I'm sure that everyone can happily, um, if, if they're a musician or part of our world, Ola, they can say that, yeah, the government's never had our backs. But to realize the extent in which that they were lying about not helping out an entire industry, that is warped. I mean, they obviously, and this is my own theory now, they obviously know that even if the industry does take this continual downturn, that they can use certain venues for 
real estate. They, they've got other ways of making money for a monoculture. Well, well, yeah, I mean, there, there are Brexiteers, you know, these people are, they voted for Brexit because they're going to make money out of it. These, a couple of Tory chums, a small elite are going to make a ton of money while the rest of us suffer and die. And Boris Johnson wasn't for Brexit initially, you know that, right? He, but he jumped on that board because it was a popular, you know, it was a populism train that led him to be prime minister. You know, it was complete, wasn't actual belief because Stanley Johnson, his father, is applying for a French citizenship. You know, this this was just um, career opportunism to use populism to get somewhere. And, and but not, it didn't care about what it would do to the country, it didn't care about what it would do to its arts. And, and I just, I think it shows that it, how the UK government does, the, the current Tory government does not give two fucking shits about the arts at all. But okay, so I'm in two minds of this. On one hand, there's a part of me that go that that is has this self-righteous indignation and, and feeling of like Roger Daltrey, you fucking twat, you deserve it. You know, and there's a part of me that says that, you know, like you, you know, what did you, you know, what did you think what you you didn't actually think, did you? There's another part of me that that goes, well, Roger Daltrey you know, maybe you're hanging out with people who, you know, you're listening, you're told you're lied to. You didn't actually know. This wasn't explained clearly. The people who were pro-Brexit weren't, didn't tell you by the fucking way, you know, uh, you, you know, you've given up all of that great traveling for as a musician in Europe and you're going to pay more and you're going to do more paperwork. Instead, there was just a bus that said five billion for the, and it wasn't five billion, but whatever it was, <laughs> ton of money for the NHS, <clears throat> you know. So I'm, I'm of two minds of this. Part of me is like, and the other is, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've you pretty much mirrored how I feel about it as well. Um, what do you think, viewers? I mean, do you have any particular like idea about what's going on based on what we've said? Is it like spurred off any new ideas or maybe there's some old ones? Let us know. Um, I think we pretty much reached the end of our programming. Um, if um, Ola, you want to tell people what you do when you're not talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a radio DJ. I have a radio show called All Is Cool Kitchen. And I created it because mainstream radio sucks and good music has no boundaries. And in order to find me, just find I'm on, on Facebook. You can find me in All Is Cool Kitchen. And that's cool with a K. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Ola. And thank you, viewers, for checking us out. Every week we put up a new Rampbox TV episode, and I'm hoping that you will be here for next time. Stay safe. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Toodles.